Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. When you give people too many options or too much information, usually the result is they do nothing. And by doing nothing, they're essentially saying no, right? They're confused. They say no. And so that's what I mean by a confused mind says no. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being back for another one of my live Q&A replays. We had a good time on this one. Lots of live interaction, tons of fun. Uh, people asking follow-up questions is great. Uh, we talked about uh, whether or not I was asked on the live, whether or not people are still making offers and buying my properties. The answer is an emphatic yes. That's a little bit of a spoiler alert. And I tell you exactly what's happening there and why. We talked about how to make offers in a declining market. Like when you're talking to the seller, how does that work? Uh, and then I was asked a follow-up question. Why does a confused mind says no? What do I mean by that? And I think that people hear that phrase a lot. A, confu a, a confused mind says no. And I kind of break that down and, and use real life examples in real estate and talking to sellers and what would cause them to say uh, uh, no. And so, and then we also had some questions about how to get access to houses once we have them under contract and some good interaction there. So lots of really cool stuff, good questions, things that I've not actually heard people ask me before, which is unusual. I get, you know, repeat questions as you might imagine. Uh, people have some similar problems that come up a lot, but there were some stuff I had never never really talked about or answered on a live like this at all. So really good one. Hope you guys enjoy this. I give you my latest live Q&A. All right, guys, we are live here. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you're not looking at the clock, it's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm here every week on Wednesdays to answer your questions. I'm here on Instagram. Uh, I'm on all the social channels, YouTube, um, 
Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything, right? Wherever you are, wherever you're watching me, totally fine. You can ask questions in the chat. Uh, I find that YouTube and Facebook is much better to ask questions in the chat because we can, my team behind the scenes can, can see that and help me understand that you ask a question. If you're on Instagram, it's a little tougher, but I'm going to look and try to see if I can see you there too and answer your questions. Uh, but I'm here every week, guys. Uh, I typically, I, I'm part of a large mastermind, seven-figure flipping. I have real estate investing courses and I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. All of that cost money. All of that is paid for. This is a place where you can get me every single week on Wednesdays and you can log on here live and ask me questions for free. This is all free, guys. It's all free. Uh, you're going to get the same answer that somebody would pay me for if they were in seven-figure flipping or part of my courses or, or my one-on-one. -on -one. So if you have questions about real estate, you should be here live. If you're listening to this after the fact or watching this video after the fact, totally fine. You're going to get, you know, you're going to hear the answers of the questions that were asked. You just can't ask questions live, right? You can't get the back and forth with me. Uh, but either way, whatever works for you, I am here for you. And it, like I said, it's free. Speaking of free, if you are trying to get more leads in your business, if that's a concern of yours, and by the way, I know it's a concern of yours. I, I ask you guys all the time. I take polls in my email, uh, my, the people who have subscribed to my email list, and I ask, and I know that one of the major issues that you guys are having right now is lead generation. You need more leads. And the best place that I have ever found to generate consistent, high-quality leads is direct mail. It just is. And it's not me. It's me and most of the investors that I have met, talked to, got to be friends with, interviewed over the years. Most of them will tell you the same thing, that direct mail has been uh, mostly responsible for their revenue over the last decade or so. And so that being said, I have spent a lot of money. I've sent out a lot of direct mail in my time. Uh, I estimate that I've spent over a million dollars in direct mail. And that's, by the way, these postcards that I'm sending are like 40, 45 cents. So I'm spent, I spent a million dollars, 45 cents at a time, 40 cents at a time, 35 cents at a time, right? That's a lot of mail. That's a lot of figuring stuff out. And I have figured a lot out. And I know how to do it right. I know how to do it successfully. And I know how to save you a lot of money. You don't spend a million dollars to figure it out. Matter of fact, you don't spend anything. I created a course called Winning Direct Mail. You can go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to get a copy of the five video course that I created just for you on how to do direct mail right in your business so that you can win with direct mail. If you want to just, you can just go to winningdirectmail.com if you want. It'll get you there as well. Like I said, go to my website, mikesimmons.com. There's a link right there on the front page. You can get it that way. Uh, I don't charge for this course. I think it's worth a lot of money. It's a very valuable course, in my opinion. I may actually start charging for it in the future. I'm kind of toying with that idea. You know, in our business, if you get one extra deal a month, one extra deal every six months, for that matter, that's worth tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? What is a deal worth? How much money do you make? How much profit do you make? I would say minimum 10,000, right? Maximum hundreds of thousands. And so if I have a course, if I have a strategy of direct mail that will get you another deal a couple times a year or more, maybe even several times a month, 
what is that worth, right? So I don't know. I may start charging for it. It's free now. Take advantage while it's free before there's a price tag. If you get it now while it's free, you get it for life. All the updates, anything that I do in the future to update it, you'll get all that for free. Uh, but once I start charging, I won't go back the other way. It'll always be a paid course. So go and grab that while it is free. All right, guys. I'm going to answer questions tonight. If you are on here live and you want to ask questions, you can do that. Like I said, I'm going to try to monitor Instagram. It's a little tougher if you're on Facebook or you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, much easier for us to get the questions and get them answered. Uh, but I'll do my best either way. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to answer your questions live. I prioritize live questions. Uh, but if you've sent them to me, through email or through direct messaging or or any other way we kind of grab those and hold on to them and we we put them up here on wednesdays and answer those as well so i can answer your question even if you're not live it's just i'm going to prioritize people who are here live so um here we go okay uh and i think uh yeah, I saw that. Okay, Doug. Hey, Doug, how's it going, man? Good to see you. Are flippers, uh, Doug's question, are flippers still buying your wholesale deals in this market? A thousand percent yes. A thousand percent yes. And this is the big fallacy that we're, we're in a changing market and people are like pulling back and they're, they're holding off. It's not true. We are selling houses pretty much the same we've sold them over the last seven years. Um, they obviously houses went much faster over the last two years, but you know, the latest data I've gotten from my, my personal business is, you know, a year ago we would put a property out to our buyers and we would, we would accept an offer within three or four days, right? We'd get offers the first day, everybody wanted it. We'd kind of do a highest and best thing, or we would negotiate with the top couple of people and we would get a deal done. You know, we would have an offer that we accepted within a few days. Now it's taking a week to 10 days, maybe two weeks, but we're still sort of getting the same price or close to it. And it's taking a little bit longer, but they're, but they're still going, right? Because what you have to do in this market is you can't continue business as usual, meaning you can't pay the price you did a year ago or six months ago. You can't pay that price with a seller. So our job as investors now is to point the sellers to the facts, point them to the media, point them to Zillow, whatever you want to use to make your case. But the value of their house is going down in most cases. And we have to make them understand that. Once they understand that and believe that, because it's true, then we make offers accordingly. I keep using this analogy and it only works if you are a football fan or you understand football. But in football, a quarterback throws the ball to the receiver, right? The receiver's running across the field, quarterback throws it. You don't, as a quarterback, you don't throw the ball to where the receiver is when you release the ball. You need to throw it to where they're going to be. It's called leading the receiver, right? So the receiver's running this way. You throw the ball past where he is now because by the time the ball gets there, that's where he is. When we make offers as investors, we have to time the market a little bit. We have to understand that the market's going down in most cases, in most areas, it is going down. And so our offers reflect that, right? So we're making lower offers so that when we when we uh, market it out to our buyers, we're marketing it at a little lower price than we would have six months or a year ago. And so our buyers, the house flippers and the landlords that we sell to, they see that, right? And everybody sort of understands that that's what has to happen. If you're still paying top dollar, you are going to have a hard time finding buyers to buy that property. So our buyers are asking for reduced pricing 
um, we're we're kind of passing that request on to our sellers when we're when we're putting these things under contract. So you just have to kind of move with the cheese a little bit. But yes, to answer your question, house flippers are absolute. Matter of fact, they're calling us and saying, "What else do you have? We need more. We need more deals, right? Because we we have a lot of people on our list. A lot of our buyers are like professional investors. They're professional flippers. They're professional real estate investors, and they definitely want to keep doing deals. In fact, as house prices go down, the professionals want to do more than maybe they even did a year ago because they're getting better pricing now and they know that they're getting reduced pricing. And if they can turn these things around quickly, the market will not have moved much or maybe not moved at all if they can get these things turned around really fast. And so the 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 um, the job now of the house flipper is to dial in their process and not let a flip take six months or eight months. They need to get these things in and out by you know, 30, 60, 90 days so they can really cash in. And they know that. And so we're, we're getting our houses lower from the sellers. We're selling them lower to the buyers. And the buyers are excited because they know if they turn them around quickly, they can make more money. So yeah, that's how, that's how it's going for us. Okay, follow-up question. This is why it's great to be live. Here we go. Uh, Doug asks, how much lower are your offers compared to where they were six months ago? There's no formula, honestly. Um, if we get a house, uh, if we are going to talk to a seller in a house in a desirable neighborhood, we're not really necessarily getting it tons and tons lower because there are neighborhoods and there's towns and areas of, of our target market that really doesn't get affected a lot. So like back in 2008, when everything went totally to crap, right? When everything like dropped off the face of the earth, there's a few towns in my market that didn't really take a hit. Their prices really didn't go down much at all. And so if we get a house that's in a real desirable neighborhood, we're still making strong offers and we can command that price from our buyers. But in general, uh, I think we're like in the 10% range, something like that. We're about 10% lower than we were 6, 8, 12 months ago. It's not, a, it's not an exact science. We really have to see if it's a great house in a, in a decent neighborhood, even if it's not one of the best neighborhoods in the world, right? It's sort of like, this is sort of like a, just a, a golden rule of real estate. If you just get one of those deals where it's like the house is great, it's in a nice market, like... It doesn't need a lot of work. Like if you get all these factors where it's just like a desirable house, maybe it works for short-term rentals. It works for long-term rentals. It's a good flip. Like it's just, I'm in a market where a house can have a lot of exit strategies. And if you find a house that has a lot of exit strategies, maybe it has an extra bedroom more than the other ones around it. So those houses are still going at a premium in my in my market. They're, they're definitely still going at a premium. But just your average run-of-the-mill, three-bedroom, one-bathroom ranch in a middle-class neighborhood, we're probably about 10% lower than where we were six months ago, something like that. Not dramatic. It's not crazy. Eh, 10%. And we're looking at comps, though. I mean, the problem with looking at comps nowadays is you can't go back six, eight months realistically. Um, but I think it's also kind of silly to say you can only go back a month. I, I hear people saying, oh, you can only go back a few weeks. Baloney. You can go back more than a few weeks, so you can go back more than a month. But I think three to four months, three to five months is about it, right? And if you go back like six months and you see six months ago, house prices are you know, 30 40% higher than they are two months ago, then you have to kind of dial it in a little tighter. But in my market, I'm seeing like the difference between six months ago 
And three months ago, it's like not much, 5%, couple percent. It's not a big deal. So I don't really mind so much going back four to six months in my market, but you have to be a little careful. It takes a little bit more finesse when you're when you're getting your comps together. You can't just blindly go back six months and say it's all good, right? You have to go back like six months and then go back like four months, see if there's a huge difference or not, and then kind of make that decision if they if they still make sense. So, you know, we're somewhere in the three to four months we go back, you know, without really worrying about it. But pretty much in the five to ten percent dip, that's about it. It's not dramatic, not crazy, and it, it's really neighborhood dependent. Uh, I don't know if that's all. Yep. Okay. Next question. Uh, I've heard you say a confused mind says no. What do you mean by this exactly? What I mean by this is I'll give you a, a for example. I, I say this a lot. I've I've said this a lot. Maybe not so much on this um, live, but you know there are people in my family who know that I'm in real estate. But they don't really know what I do exactly. And my company over the last seven years, we've sort of our model has has changed a little bit in the last year. But predominantly over the last seven years, uh, my company has been a wholesaling company. But a lot of my friends and family and things like that, they don't really know what wholesaling is. They know that I'm in real estate. They maybe they think I flip houses more than I really do. Um, sometimes they think that I'm a realtor, like it's just a little fuzzy, right? And so I've explained it to people what wholesaling is. I've, I've explained it to my friends, for example, what wholesaling is. It doesn't make a ton of sense to them. And so what I tell people is when we're in the house with a seller and we're trying to buy their house, I don't necessarily lay out for them exactly the wholesaling process like bear it you know and all of its glory out to the seller because in a half an hour conversation it's going to be difficult for them to fully understand what wholesaling is i know people that have been trying to figure out wholesaling for months or even years and they still don't really a hundred percent get it and so trying to explain this to a distressed seller during an appointment uh, to buy their house is going to confuse them. And you're going to confuse them sufficiently and make them nervous because you're trying to explain this thing where you're getting their house under contract, but then you're not going to buy it and you maybe don't even have the money to buy it, but you're still getting it under contract and you're going to sell it to somebody else before you own it but it's okay because you have equitable interest in the house. And so you're going to sell it to that person and they don't know that person. And when they go to closing, that person might be there or maybe you'll sell it to me and I'll only have it for like an hour, but then I'll sell it to that other person. Like all of this doesn't make sense. And if you try to just like go, hey, I want to be 100% honest with the seller. And so I'm going to explain to them the wholesaling process, the whole thing. You're not going to get many deals because you're going to tell people, and they're going to just be like a deer in the headlights. They're going to be so confused by what wholesaling is and how how are you not buying my house but you're signing the contract but you don't even know who's going to buy the house like and you don't have the money to buy the house but you're telling me you're going to buy it from me like how does this work? Right? We know how it works as investors, but if you try to explain that to a seller in 30 minutes and 40 minutes and they're already at a place in their life where they're in distress they have challenges and things that are going on that are not great and selling their house to you 
is going to help them fix a lot of that because they can take that money and, and make things right and and kind of right the ship a little bit. So that's all good, right? We're going to help them. But if we try to explain all of the ins and outs of everything that's going to happen before we get to closing, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be confusing. And I guarantee you, they're going to say, uh, thank you, but no, thank you. Get out of my house. Uh, you're you're doing something weird that I don't understand. I don't want to do this, right? I don't want to be a part of this. And we would never buy a house. So that's what I mean by a confused mind says no. When you give people too much information sometimes or when you give them too many options, right? So if you go into the house, and I know investors that like doing this, they'll go into the house and they'll have like a buy it price for cash. They'll have like some sort of like, um, you know, creative financing, like I'll give you some money down and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll have like a seller financing kind of an option. They'll have some sort of a lease option. It, it, all these different things. You're, you're trying to give them a million ways to say yes. But when you give a seller a million ways to say yes, you're almost guaranteeing that they're going to say no because they they get sort of like frozen, right? They get paralysis analysis. They don't know what to say yes to anymore. And it all sounds okay. They don't know which one they should do. And, and they just start seizing up and they just usually say no. So when you go into a home with a seller, you don't, in my opinion, you don't necessarily want to give them five options because it's too much. It's overwhelming. And they're going to they're gonna usually say, I have to think about this. And then the person who comes in after you who says, listen, I'll pay you this. We'll close in two weeks. We'll take care of your problem that you're having. And it'll all be behind you. And we're just going to close and be done with it. Like That's just so much simpler. And it's simpler. And so there's a really good chance, even if they're offering less, they're going to say yes. Because the other guy who came before you, like he had all these different ideas of he wanted me to finance. Like He wanted me to like be the bank. And he had all these thoughts. And what if I just pay you a little bit and you keep your mortgage in place for six months while I do the flip? And then I'll pay you on the back end. Like, I don't know what he was talking about. You want to buy my house? Great. Buy my house. I, I'm telling you, that's the way it's going to go down if you give them too many options. So when you give people too many options or too much information, usually the result is they do nothing. And by doing nothing, they're essentially saying no, right? They're confused. They say no. And so that's what I mean by a confused mind says no. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. Uh, I see you put a, a thing up there, Angela, but I see that also Doug had a follow-up question. Okay, cool. All right, good. Uh, Doug, let's see. So you just say you'll buy it. If you're talking about the scenario I just, uh, I just laid out, nine times out of 10, we're there to buy their house. We're not giving them a bunch of options. If we go in with the idea that we're going to buy it and they have a price that we can't get to and we don't feel like we'll ever get to it. Like it's just way more than what we know a buyer will pay. It's just not not good. Sometimes we'll default back to like a seller financing option or we'll explore that. We won't say, hey, will you seller finance it? You be the bank, blah, blah. We'll start asking questions like, well, let me ask you this. What, what When you get the money for the house, what are you going to do with it? Do you need it right now? Do you need it all right now? And we'll start playing that game a little bit and just talk to them about long-term capital gains and you know that they're going to get taxed on that. And what if they didn't have to pay taxes on all of that? And we just start, we, we don't give them like, hey, this or this or this or this. If we know buying it as a wholesaler and paying cash is not going to, if it's a dead end street, 
then we'll change directions and we'll go a hundred percent in that direction. Right. And we're not going to go, well, well, we can go back to this or this or this or this. It's like, we're doing this. Oh, this doesn't work. This is a complete no. Like I'm going to walk out of this house without a deal. 100%. Okay. Then what about this? We have this option and we go hard at that one. And if that doesn't work, usually that's, that's the end of it for us. We're not, we're not there to give them 15 options and, and go crazy. Now, if they're desperate and they're like, we'll do anything. Like we just have to get this done. Then maybe we'll get a little more creative, but in general, man, we're going at that to buy it. Like we're going to buy it with cash. And if we can't do that, we'll shift gears. And if that doesn't work, then it usually doesn't just doesn't work for us. It's not going to make sense. So yeah, we, we pretty much buy it. Usually if that's, if that's what we're doing, we're, we're just going to buy it nine times out of 10. That's what we want to do. And then we decide if, if we're going to, once we buy it, like, I mentioned that we're changing our model a little bit. Here's what we're changing our model to. We're still wholesaling. We're still wholesaling, but we're probably only about 50% wholesale now. The rest of what we're doing is we're buying the properties with private money. We're getting private money, buying properties outright, and then we are seller financing them to the to the buyer. So we're finding buyers that can't get approved for a traditional loan or don't want to get approved for a traditional loan, whatever, but they have a, a lot of money to put down as a down payment. So they give us a big down payment and then we play bank with them. We have this, this note with our private money person, right? And then they sign a mortgage with us basically, and they're paying us uh, on that property and we're, we're, we're financing it. So uh, that's kind of what we're doing now. So those are basically our two, our two roads, but either way, to the seller, we're buying it, right? Like they don't care if we're gonna wholesale it or if we're gonna, you know, own or finance it down the road. Like we're just buying it as far as they're concerned. Okay, uh, follow-up question again from Doug. If you get it under contract to buy, how do you deal with getting buyer access? Simple, we tell the sellers that we have partners and um, contractors and investor partners that we have to get in the property. And some people, if it's vacant, it, some people will be like, cool. And we'll say, can we put a lockbox on this? And then we're going to just show a few people the property. If we put a lockbox, we don't have to bother you. You don't have to come over every single time. A lot of times they'll say, yeah, that's fine. And we'll put a lockbox on it and we'll just give the lockbox out and, and people will go through as they need to. If somebody still lives there, we just set... See, everything... A lot of the questions that people have when it comes to sellers and how to deal with them, it's answered the same way. And, and that's how I'll answer this. Buyer access, the way we handle it is we set the expectation right up front. We tell them we are going to have to bring people through the property two or three times. We're just, we'll estimate based off of the condition of the house and just the circumstances around the deal. But you know, most times we'll tell them two or three times we're going to have to bring people into the house. They could be contractors, they could be investors, they could be partners. People are going to have to see this because nine times out of 10, what we're paying them is a little more than what we wanted to pay them, or it's more than what they think we wanted to pay them for sure. And so we'll leverage that, that fact and we'll say, listen, we, you know, we, we were going to pay you 150, but we've come to an agreement a little higher than what I wanted to. So I'm going to have to definitely bring some people through so we can do a little bit better estimating on the renovation. We can have our partners take a look to kind of make them feel better about the deal. There's a million reasons why people need to go through, but we, but the key is if you sign the contract and you go, great, we'll close in two weeks. Thank you very much. And you leave and then you call them and say, Hey, we got to do two or three showings and you keep calling them and they didn't expect that there's going to be friction. There's going to be pushback. They're not going to like it. 
And so you set the expectation up front. We need to get through it two or three times. We have to do that. Okay. Okay. And they're usually they're most agreeable when you're signing a contract to pay them a bunch of money for their house and they're going to make thousands or tens of thousands of dollars off that sale. That's when they're most agreeable. They're not as agreeable two or three weeks later when you want to start showing that house to buyers. That's when it gets a little bit funky and you can't get a hold of them and it's a bad experience. You set that up front. You make sure that you can put a lockbox on it if that's okay, or you at least make sure that they know you're going to call them in the next week or so to start setting up a few showings. And we set those expectations up front. It's usually not a big deal at all. Usually not at all. But we do have our our um, our dispositions manager is going to be there for the showings. We do not, generally speaking, we do not let buyers into houses with. Uh, with sellers that we don't have control of that situation. You just can't do it. You just don't do it. Like, don't do it. Bad things will happen. So keep keep control of that situation. Thanks, Doug. All right. Uh, and I see Pete said, great insight. Uh, thank you, Pete. I appreciate that. All right. What's the number one characteristic you look for in a property manager? The number one, there isn't, well, there's a couple, but I mean, one thing I want from a property manager is I, I want to know that they have a pretty good portfolio of properties that they manage. Um, I don't want to be their first client. It, it, maybe that sucks and it's not fair for new property managers. I just don't want to be their first client. Uh, I really like it when property managers have a portfolio that's decent size and some of the properties are theirs. I like that. Uh, because I know that they, as as a landlord themselves, they understand our pain points. They understand the need for uh, economical um, contractors and handymen, and they won't hopefully just charge, you know, pass on crazy charges that they that they shouldn't be passing on. And so I want them to understand the pains of uh, of their clients. So I want them to have properties as well. I like it when they have some technology behind them, when they're not super old school, when they have like online portals and you can access reporting and they have, you know, they're sort of modernized to the point that they have some of those um, technologies in place because it shows me that they're efficient and that I'm going to be able to get hopefully quick answers to questions or that questions that I have that I could answer on my own. I can go into a portal and I can see receipts for things that were done and I can see when people are late. Like I can get that information myself. I like that. So yeah, so one of them is they're not brand new. I'm not their first client. They have investment properties themselves and they have some level of technology that they're that they're leveraging to be a little more efficient. Those are, those are some of the things. Um, I've heard of people having uh, contracts where they want you to sign a contract with them for like a couple of years. I wouldn't do that. I think that's a red flag. I wouldn't. I would not do that. So um, that's kind of what I look for there. All right. If we have more questions live, I'll take them. But you have to put them in right now. Otherwise, I'm going to wrap this up for the night. I think that's pretty good. We had a lot of good live interaction. Uh, so thanks, uh, Doug, for that. And Pete, thanks for the 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 vote of confidence there for, for me. Uh, I don't see anything on Instagram. I don't think I missed anything. Nope. I don't think so. I think we're good. All right, guys, if that's it for everybody, we're going to call it. Thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for being live. I appreciate that. It was good to have you. And, uh, I will see you next week. Next week. I'm just going to be super transparent here. I'm going to be out of town and, but I have pre-recorded a Q and a, 
um, that I will be playing. So you you can still log in next week. It'll still show up. It'll kind of look like I'm live, which is sort of cool. Um, but I won't be able to answer questions. So if you ask me questions, don't get uh, bent out of shape if I don't answer them. I'm not really live next week. It's kind of sneaky, but you guys know you're here live. You can, you can, I'll give you that insight. Uh, but I will be here answering questions. So it's still of a benefit, I think, to log in and, and listen because I'm still answering questions that were asked of me. Uh, otherwise, I'll be back live in two weeks and uh, I'll tell you all about Flip Hacking Live because that's where I'm going to be next week, by the way. Flip Hacking Live. If you still want to go, you can go to Flip Hacking Live and use the promo code just start. It'll get you $100 off the tickets. You should go. It's an amazing event. It's going to be just mind blowing. And I'm going to bring some of that back and kind of share what I learned and share some stuff, some insights and things that I had from the week. It's going to be a blast. So I will see you guys live in two weeks. I'll see you recorded in a week. And I hope you all have a good night. I'll talk to you soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.